Brandon fill in when Brian's away. He's up at, uh, he's actually helping Jared's church out this weekend, so we're excited for him to do that. Uh, we're in the middle of a series called The Problem of God. If you're just now joining with us, we've been through quite a bit. We've talked about uh, God and science already, and uh, you know, uh, do they agree? Do they disagree? What, how do they feel about each other? Uh, these, these were the questions we were trying to answer as we looked at that uh, on that Sunday a few weeks ago. And, and we realized that Christianity, we've, we're all about the pursuit of truth, an honest, open pursuit of truth, uh, looking for the, for the truth with an open heart and with an open mind. And we're great with that. Augustine, St. Augustine, he said that all truth was God's truth. So the more that, that we seek truth, the more that we're going to seek God. Uh, Jesus said it a little differently. He said, you'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So Christianity is all for the pursuit of truth. Uh, one of the ways that God has tried to give us truth is through Scripture. And a couple weeks ago, we looked at how Scripture is reliable. It's been testified to through history and through archaeology, and God gave us His Word so that we could take Him at His Word because He wants us to trust Him. Last week we looked at the really, really difficult and I think often personal problem of evil and pain and suffering, and we even touched on, on the issue of hell a little bit, because that's one of the things that keeps a lot of people uh, from coming to believe in God. And we saw that only God can bring perfect justice. And, and we saw that evil and pain and suffering, it's not a Christian problem, it is a humanity problem. And every person, whether you're a Christ follower or not, we struggle with the problem of evil and pain and suffering. And the question isn't, you know, what does Christianity do with it? The question is, who's got the best answer for that problem? And uh, we, it was a great, I mean, I enjoyed that week. I enjoyed that study. Um, and I hope you did too. And if you've missed any of these and you think, man, I'd like, to, I'd like to get some of that information, just go to the website, BowlingGreenChristian.org, and you can get um, caught up on where we are. Uh, but today we're talking about something a little different. We're talking about the obstacle of morality. Uh, in the book, Mark Clark uh, writes The Problem of God. Uh, he, he has an entire chapter just dedicated to the ethics of, of sexuality. Uh, but for our purposes this morning, I thought we'd open it up to the broader topic of morality in general, the, the issue of rules. Uh, because a lot of people, when they think about coming to know Christ, uh, and they think about Christianity, and they think about God, Often what comes into their mind is just, oh, well, that's just a bunch of rules that I have to follow. That's just a bunch of rules and things that I have to do, and it's telling me not to do all the things that I want to do, and so I'm not real interested in that. Well, I want to just say, you know, I, I get that that's a common understanding of Christianity. I think it's a misconception, but I get that it's a common one. Uh, but before we go any further this morning, talking about just the ethics of Christianity, the morality of it, I want us to sort of lay uh, all our cards out on the table, and I think we can come to agree on one point. And that point is this. Let's just, for argument's sake, and you might be here this morning, and you might not believe in God, and I get that, but, but let's just say we all believe in God, and let's just say that we all believe that the God of the Bible is this God, the God who created the world with love and care, and he created the world and created humanity with order and with, a, with an intelligent, loving design. Let's say that there was a God who did that. Let's say there was a God who, even after we rejected him, sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross so that way we could know him and live with him forever. Let's say that that God exists as I contend that he does. 
Uh, let's say that that God exists. If that God were to then give us a set of rules, or we might call them best practices, and he said, this is how you ought to conduct your life, I think we could all agree that it would be in our best interest to follow those rules. It would be in our interest to, to accept these best practices because he's doing this because he loves us, he knows how we're made, and he knows what's, what's best for us. I think we could agree with that. But, but I know that sort of, again, on the surface, that a lot of people say, well, okay, if we put all that aside, following God is just going to keep me from living the life that I want. But we fail to realize this, that God created us to enjoy his creation with our lives. That, that's what God did. He created our bodies, he created our souls, he created our minds, that we would enjoy his creation with our lives. Uh, the Westminster Catechism, uh, written way back in 1646, I don't think any of you were around, well, maybe, um, were around when that was written, but 1646, uh, it was written as a tool to teach children the truth about God, okay? And so it was written as sort of a question and answer type of, of thing, like, who is Jesus? Jesus is, is the Lord and Savior. He's the Son of God. These are, these are the things you would do. But, but the number one question in the Westminster Catechism, the one that sort of launched the whole thing out, was this, what is the chief end of man? In other words, what is the purpose of man? Uh, here's the answer. The chief end of man is to know God and enjoy him forever. That's the verb. They felt like Christianity should be enjoyable. They felt like God wanted us to not just know him and sit in a somber mood and just think about God, but to enjoy God and to to, to be happy about that. And, and this is why a lot of times when I see Christians and I, you know, I think about the way that maybe they communicate their faith. And it's like, is the joy of the Lord your strength? And the answer is yes. And then I want to be like, well, then tell your face. You know, tell your face about that. Tell your face that you're happy that God has saved you, that God loves you. Because Christianity is about celebrating God. It's about knowing God. It, it's about being with God. And you see the way that God creates you look in the very first book of the Bible in Genesis, and you'll see that God makes the world, and the word he uses to describe it is good. He creates the light and the dark, and then he creates the earth and the sea and the sky, and he creates you know, land animals, and he creates plants, and he creates humanity, and he's constantly saying, man, this is really good. And then he gets to humanity, and he says, that's very good. God wanted to have us enjoy him and his creation. This is why we also see in Genesis is after man was made, it says that God plants a garden just for humanity to live inside. God created pleasure, and pleasure has a purpose. Uh, let's think about the purpose of pleasure just for a second. You probably don't spend a lot of time thinking about this, but, but let's just think about it. You know, things like exercise. What do people say? You know, after they get done, they go, man, that felt good. It feels good to be active. You know, eating, you know, we like to eat, right? Sometimes we like to eat too much because it's, it's a pleasurable experience. It gives us more energy with which to enjoy life. All of these things release chemicals and, and hormones and all these things in our body and into our bloodstream that makes us feel good. The things that we need to live help us to feel good. Everything we need for survival, whether it's eating or sleeping, uh, reproducing, whether it's work, and I mean breaking a sweat here, it's designed to make us feel good biologically. We are rewarded, in other words, for doing the things necessary to stay alive. 
Even our relationships, they're good for us. We are biologically designed to be connected with others. Uh, You know, science and psychologists are always doing all sorts of weird tests on people and animals and all sorts of things, and they're finding that cuddling is shown to boost our oxytocin levels, which make us feel safe. In return, it helps us sleep better and feel happier. Uh, This is how we've been created. Uh, This is why, also in our increasingly disconnected society, that there is a rising industry, wait for it, of professional cuddlers, people that make a living just hugging people. It's just they get paid. They're like, hey, I'm going to pay you for an hour just if you just hug me for an hour. How sad is that, friends? It's sad, but it's true. We live in a time and place where we're disconnected, and we crave that because God made us to, to want that. God made us to want to eat good and, and to, to, to work and, and to be connected. Friends, babies and children, they need to be held. There's a biological reason for this. Adults, we also need touch. It helps us feel safe. Additionally, when we do engage in sexual activity, our body receives this powerful, natural epinephrine shot in our brain that bonds us to the other person, which is why it's a shame to waste that onto a computer screen or or a phone, because it just scatters our souls. You see, God gave us all of these instances and, and, and chemicals and all these things of pleasure to bring us closer to the things that would help us to live our best life. Let's just think about this for a second, because God could have not given us these natural biochemical rewards for engaging in life-giving behavior. Think about this. Every time you eat, it could just make you feel sick. You know, every time you, you touch somebody, it could give you a, a shock. Every time you, you do physical labor, it, it could make you, you know, just, you know, feel like get a headache or something. It, 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 could, it could punish us for doing the things that we need to do to live. And if that was the case, then we would have to naturally fight against the things that, that, that we struggle with in order to survive. The, the truth that I really want to get at is this, is that God created pleasure for us so that it would draw us towards our best. But God didn't create us for pleasure. I, I know that's on the screen. I want to read that one more time for you. But God created pleasure for us so that it would draw us towards our best. In other words, God wired us in a way that pleasure would draw us towards the thing that would help us to live our best lives. But God didn't create us for pleasure. In other words, God didn't create us to be bottomless pits of desire. When we forget that, that's when we enter into addictions. You know, we forget that God made food pleasurable so we could enjoy eating, and instead we think that we exist to consume food. And so what happens is we eat and eat and eat until it hurts. You know, we forget sometimes that God made intimacy to be pleasurable, to keep us connected to the people that we love to keep us connected to a spouse for life, and instead we scatter and divide our souls among many people or images. You see, friends, many of you have experienced this, and you know that when we put pleasure first, we end up in trouble. But the good news is this, is that we don't have to wreck ourselves. We don't have to be just endless consumers. God has provided what we might say a user's manual for us, a set of best practices for us, so that way we can maximize our lives' enjoyment. This is what we call morality. But we don't like this idea of morality. As a matter of fact, we don't even like the word morality because it feels like rules. 
And we falsely believe this. We falsely believe that following Jesus will keep us from enjoying life and the created world. That's, that's the false belief that we have. We think that if we follow Jesus, it is going to keep us from our best. You know, we're plagued with this disease of covetousness. We want things that we don't have that we can't have. You know, it's interesting to me, you know, if you read through the story of Adam and Eve, you know, people always, you know, you ask them, what's the rules that God said? Uh, God said you couldn't eat from that tree. That's the rule. But we forget the part that starts that. God says, no, no, no. He says, you can eat from any tree in the garden. All of them are yours, except that one. Every single one is yours, but not that one. We, we just sort of skipped the part where God commanded them, hey, go enjoy every tree in the garden. Just leave this one alone. There's something in us that when we're told, you can't have that, this is not good for you, this is not what you want, then all of a sudden we're going, well, maybe that's what I want. Maybe that's the thing that's, maybe that's, maybe that's, that's going to keep me happy. You're keeping me, like you've given me all this, but like that's sort of like, I don't know, that's like second best. That's, that's got to be good, right? Because that's why you've got it locked up in the back, right? That's, that's got to be better. There's something in us that just naturally goes for the thing that we can't have that we don't want. And here's the problem. Not everything we want is good for us. It might look good. It might smell good. It might, you know, feel good. But it doesn't mean it's good for us. You know, I, I remember coming uh, to my grandmother's house uh, over a break in college one time. And I'd been a while since I'd seen her, and Grandma had this habit of baking things for uh, the grandkids, for me, whenever we would come see her. She'd always bake something, and I, she used to make these things called potato chip cookies. They sound horrible. They're absolutely delicious. And she would make these things, and, and I, was, I was always looking forward to eating this. You know, I was looking forward to this. And so I come to her house, and, and we're sitting in her den, and I see there's a big cookie tin on the mantle, and I thought, ah, oh, Grandma, you've done it again. And so I go to the mantle, I grab the cookie tin, and as I'm opening it, she says, don't open that. And I open it up, and inside, wait for it, are the ashes, yes, the ashes of her dead dog. Yeah, the dog was dead before she turned it to ash. I just want to be clear about that. The, the cremated remains, the cremains, to use the popular vo vocabulary, inside of a cookie tin on the mantle, friends. Okay, that's what's waiting for me there. And I think that often in life, we see these packages, and we go, man, that looks really, really good. Boy, I really, really want that. And God's like, don't open that. And we go, why? Because it's full of death. Because it leads you nowhere that you want to go. It leads you only to brokenness. Friends, God isn't trying to keep us from our best. He's trying to lead us towards our best. This is why he says, don't get stuck in this place of covetousness. Now, I know that we talk about covetousness, and I know that, you know, it's made God's top 10 list of things you should not do. Do not covet. You know, that's the last of the Ten Commandments there. I know that that's there. And I think a lot of times we don't understand what it is. You know, we think covetousness is we notice our neighbor's got a, a car that's two years newer than ours. We're like, man, I'd like to have that car. And we don't think much more about it, and we go in and we just do our stuff. That's not covetousness. Covetousness is when you look at that car and you go, man, it'd be sure nice to drive that car. And you think about that car, and the warning light comes on the dash in your car, and instead of paying attention to it, you're just constantly thinking about what would it be like to have this new car, and you spend your time so much that you ignore the fact that your car needs an oil change, and now it needs a transmission fluid change, and now all of a sudden your car's broke down because you spend all the time thinking about your neighbor's car. 
Now, that sounds kind of ridiculous, maybe, but, but how many marriages have fallen apart because people kept thinking, man, it'd be easier to be married to that person. If I was married to her, or if I was married to him, boy, I could, I could make this work. And you spend so much time fantasizing about somebody else that you neglect the spouse God's given to you. Friends, that's covetousness. When you put more emotional energy and intellectual energy into something you don't have or can't have, it leads us to atrocities. It leads us to do dark things. That's why Stephen Tourette was murdered in Chicago, because he had sneakers that somebody else wanted. This is why Brian Sanders is going to spend his life in jail, because he murdered an infant, because the infant got all of the attention from his mom. Friends, covetousness takes us to place we don't want to go. We've got to learn to control our desires before they control us. This is why only following Jesus brings us true joy. Let me tell you what, another job is not going to make you happy. Another town isn't going to make you happy. Another spouse isn't going to make you happy. Another church isn't going to make you happy. How do I know that? I know that because you've been through three spouses, you've had five jobs, you've lived in two towns, and you've been to ten churches. Guess what? There's not anything wrong with the three spouses you've had or the five jobs you've had or the two towns you lived in or the ten churches you've been to. There is something wrong with you. In anywhere else you go, in anybody else you see, you're going to take your dysfunction, you're going to take your covetousness, and you're going to take it into that relationship, that job, that church, that town, that community, and you're going to end up as broken and as empty as you are right now. It's just the truth. Only following Jesus is going to bring you true joy. If you allow your life to bounce from desire to desire, you will find yourself emptier and more broken each time you bounce. This is what James tells us. James says this, he says, obey God. Stand up to the devil and he will run away from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Make your hearts pure, you who can't make up your minds. James says, listen, don't bounce from desire to desire. Stop getting your hands dirty. Stop following your own way. He says, obey God. Go with his plan. Stick to, to, I know it's a hard word, we don't like it, but go with the moral choice. Stand up to the devil and you will find that God can change your heart. You can't do it, I can't do it, only God can do it. But it's amazing what happens. You know, when I was in high school and then when I was in college, I loved to drink Mountain Dew. Oh, it was my favorite. And then they came out with this code red Mountain Dew, which is Mountain Dew with just red sugar in it, more sugar. Oh, special. Oh, I could drink that. I could drink a whole bunch of that all day long. I could just drink this red Mountain Dew. I mean, and it was amazing. And it, oh, I loved it. I could drink it all the time. And then something happened. I got a little bit older. And I said, you know what? I don't really need probably all that caffeine in my life. I probably don't need all that sugar. It's probably not good for me. And my pants were saying, you can't fit in here anymore if you keep drinking all that Mountain Dew. And I said, okay, all right. So I quit and I stopped drinking it. I kind of swore off sugary sodas just as a general. Now I'm, I'm a Coke Zero addict. I drink a lot of coffee. Uh, but, you know, I hadn't drank Mountain Dew in years, years, Pro probably five, six years. I had not touched a Mountain Dew. And then about a year ago, a couple months ago, maybe, I was at uh, a social event in somebody's house. And I remember, you know, they had this ice chest full of drinks. And in there was a Mountain Dew. And I thought, oh, an ice cold Mountain Dew. 
I haven't had one of these in forever. That would be delicious. I can't wait to have some of this. There's brominated vegetable oil in there. Did you know that? Look at the ingredients. This is brominated vegetable oil. I don't even know what that means, but it's got to be bad for you. And I'm like, yeah, I need some of that. I need some brominated vegetable oil. And so I took it. I, I took it out. I dried the can off, and I heard that, you know, that awesome fizzing noise. And I'm like, oh, this is going to be amazing. And I took a drink, or like I took a drink like that, and it was terrible. Like, it was so sweet. Like, it just, I was like sick. And I thought, oh, you know, the first taste is the worst. You got to get over it. That's kind of like addiction, right? The first taste is bad, but I think if I drink more of it, it's going to make it feel better. And so I, I have another drink. And you know what? It was even worse. And my stomach started to hurt. And I was like, ah, oh, I can't, I couldn't even finish it. I couldn't. I had to dump the thing out. I had to get, <laughs> had to get rid of it. It was nasty. It was bad. I, I couldn't stand it. That, you start to think to yourself, well, what happened? Why in the world? You know, what's my taste had changed? Something had happened inside of my body. My body was rejecting the thing that it used to crave. And friends, on a spiritual level, God does that for us. God does that for us. He changes our hearts, and he changes our tastes, and he changes our desires. And if like, we do what James tells us, if we obey God, if we stand up to the devil, if we surrender to him, guess what? He comes, and he gives us new souls that hunger and thirst for righteousness. Only following Jesus does that. Only following Jesus brings us true joy. Friends, God gave us morality so that way we could fully enjoy creation. That, that's what morality is for. It is sort of the rules by which we get to play life and get the most out of it. I, I, just, just think with me here for a second. I mean, everybody, you know, when you play by the rules, it makes it more fun for everybody, right? Whether that's soccer or Monopoly or cards or your sex life or your business life or any other aspect of your life. We run into problems when we start to use gifts and blessings and we consume them in a way that God didn't design them to be consumed. That's what sin is. Using something that God created as good in a way he didn't intend. In a recent study of people who engaged in, in extramarital sex, they found that many men regretted their actions because they feared that they had used their partner. And they found that many women resented their actions because they felt like they had been used by their partner. In other words, stepping out of God's design leads us to have second thoughts, leads us to be filled with guilt and shame. I, I want to tell you something. God wants us to enjoy the gifts that he's given us, whether that's the gift of, of food or, or hard work or sexuality, without regret, without resentment. He wants us to feel as good about enjoying our gifts the morning after as we do the night before. But that only happens when we follow Jesus. Following Jesus brings us true joy. It's true at church, and it's true in your home, and it's true in your business, and it's true in school. We can enjoy God's gifts without regret or resentment when we use them according to God's design. Because pleasure was designed to lead us closer to God. God created pleasure so that way we would be drawn to Him. And yet we often pursue everything else first. All right, how about this? The most popular course in the history, the entire history of Yale University. You might have heard of this school. It's like WKU, but it's on the East Coast. So Yale University, 2017, Psych 157. Here you go, Psychology and the Good Life. One quarter of the entire student population signed up to take this class. Lori Santos, the psychology professor, teaches the course. And she said, here's the goal. It says, try to teach students how to lead a happier, more satisfying life. 
It was created in response to a 2013 study they'd done of their student body that found that over half of the Yale undergraduate students had gone to counseling for mental health issues that they were struggling with. And so they thought maybe we could teach something about the happiness that everybody is looking for. And Santos found this, that many of the students, they're pursuing things like a high grade, a prestigious internship, a good paying job that science keeps showing us over and over and over again that it doesn't increase our happiness at all. Science is now catching up with this. Much more than 10 years ago, Santos says this. She says, our intuitions about what will make us happy, like winning the lottery or getting a good grade, are totally wrong. Friends, let me tell you, often I think we pursue with our whole heart and body and mind and soul the wrong dream. And we find that we've been chasing and chasing and chasing after something that once we finally achieve it, we're not any happier. The reason for that is because only following Jesus brings us true joy. That's the only thing that brings us true, lasting joy. Now, you might be here and you might be saying, you know what, it just seems to me like the people that don't play by the rules, it seems like they're happy. This is a struggle faithful people have had for a long time. The psalmist in Psalm 73, 3-9 says this. This is their own personal admissions, personal prayer we, we have for us today. It says this, I saw that proud and sinful people were doing well. In other words, the psalmist, he looks around and he says, I see all these people that aren't playing by the rules, and it seems like they're doing well. And I began to long for what they have. They don't have any troubles. Their bodies are healthy and strong. They don't have the problems others have. They don't suffer as other people do. Their pride is like a necklace. They put on meanness as if it were clothes. Many sins come out of their hard and stubborn hearts. There is no limit to their proud and evil thoughts. They laugh at others and speak words of hatred. They are proud. They warn others about the harm they can do to them. They brag as if they owned heaven itself. They talk as if they controlled the earth. The psalmist is saying, you know what, I've, I've tried to live my life right. I've tried to do these things. I've tried to play by the rules. And yet it just seems that these other people keep getting ahead when I fall further behind. But let me tell you, friends, the solution to this endless race of covetousness is not to consume more. It's to learn to be content. It's to seek Jesus first, to seek his kingdom first. He said everything else gets added to you because only following Jesus brings us true joy. That's why we've got to find things to be grateful for in the moment, which is what the psalmist does. The psalmist continues, and, and here's the realization that, that he comes to at the end. He says, I didn't have any sense. In other words, he says, I was just so blinded by my covetousness. I was just so blinded by these desires. I didn't know anything. I acted like a wild animal towards you, but I am always with you. And you hold me by my right hand, and you give me wise advice to guide me. And when I die, you will take me away into the glory of heaven. The psalmist has this moment where he says, you know what? My best life is with you, God. My best life is with you. Only following Jesus brings us true joy. It's morality that God has given to us as a gift that we could live our lives and enjoy creation without regrets. How does that work? Well, morality, it shows us the boundaries of all that is good. Uh, several studies, many studies have been done by psychologists about children in playgrounds. I, I know we've got a lot of teachers. You've probably heard this study. But, but for a long time, psychologists were saying, you know, it's really harmful for kids to get out of the classroom and then be put into a cage. 
You know, they just saw these, these fences as cages. The kids have to go into the playground, and now they're all fenced in, just like they're in prison, and it's bad for kids to always be fenced up. We need to tear down all the fences. We need to tear down all of these things and let the children just have openness. And so that's what they did. And then teachers, as they were taking the kids out to playground, noticed that the kids didn't play out as far. They wouldn't go to the other side of the playground. They wouldn't play on the, the far set of swings. They wouldn't go to, to the very end and, and play their imaginary games. They would actually stay really, really close to the teacher. And so psychologists started to study this, and they did study after study where they'd take the same group of kids, same teacher, they'd put them in a playground with a fence, they'd put them in a playground uh, without a fence. And they constantly found that when there was a fence, the kids felt great to go all the way to the edge. And they, because they knew that's where they could be safe. And they knew that's where they could have fun and enjoy themselves. But when there was no fence, they found that they were constantly staying close. They weren't playing as much. They weren't enjoying themselves as much. Friends, I'll tell you, I think morality is that for us. God has given us morality. He's sort of fenced out for us the things that we can enjoy. And he says, this is all the place you can go. And yet often in our lives, we, we get to that fence, we get to the edge, we're like, man, I don't know, what would it be like to be on the other side of this? I don't know what's over there. I bet God's holding out the good stuff from us. He said we could go anywhere but over this fence. Let's go over there, let's see. And so we hop the fence to see what's on the other side, and it's exactly what God said it was. It's brokenness, and it's death, and it's sadness, it's regret and it's resentment. And the funniest part is the fence is chain link. You can see through. You don't have to hop it. That's how it is. Friends, only following Jesus brings us true joy.